the National Archives podcast series, Remembering Samuel Coleridge Taylor, African-British musician and Pan-Africanist, presented by Kwaku. As I said, not an expert, I'm very interested in the subject. So, by way of quick introduction, the name is Kwaku. I do not describe myself as a historian, but rather a history consultant. That being that I research history for a purpose. I'm not a classical music fan, for example, but I'm interested in Samuel Curry Taylor in terms of African British history. So that's where I come from. So I'm trying to see where he is within African British history and also British music. Croydon Festival on 1st September was a walk to see the buildings that are connected to Samuel Taylor, his school, places he lived in, the, uh, the church he got married, and the, the churches he used to sing in. And then we ended up, a few of us ended up at the cemetery, so we buy some of Taylor's uh, grave. And history is not just in the past, it's ongoing. So this was part of learning about history. If you're into classical music, there, there are a couple of important choral pieces, or cantatas, whichever word you want, you want to use. Messiah is one uh, done by Handel, and even if you're not into classical music, you'd have heard of the Messiah. So that's the Harlem Gospel Choir's interpretation of uh, Handel's Messiah. And what I like is the, the fact that we've got the uh, Harlem Gospel Choir and they've got a Kente stash, which uh, gives that African connection. So it relates to where I'm coming from. Another one is uh, Elijah by Medelson. Okay, and the reason why I play those two is that if you're looking at orchestral pieces and choral pieces, they are the most well-known. They've stood the test of time over 100 years. But within that genre was a piece created by someone we're going to talk about today, Samuel Curry Taylor. And at one time, his uh, High Waters Wedding uh, Feast vied these two uh, compositions. So I just want to see the context in which the person we're going to talk stood within British music over a hundred years ago. Obviously, his name does not stand high as it ought to, but uh, of those two composers I, I've, I've mentioned, obviously, uh, still uh, perform day in, day out at the prompts and elsewhere. But uh, Samuel Kutel and his day stood head and shoulders with those uh, well-known composers I, I have just mentioned. So the piece, uh, it's a bit of a shame because Samuel Kutel composed so many pieces, but like as it is often, you end up relating to one or two pieces. And it's a shame that uh, High Water's Wedding Festival or, or the whole piece, the song of High Water, is what he's well known for, but there are other pieces. But uh, uh, this is a good focus for us. So um, high, the High Water Wedding Fest, uh, Feast was performed for the first time in 1898 at his old school, the Royal College of, of Music. Uh, there were great reviews when it, it, it was performed. 1900, the whole uh, trilogy plus an overture was uh, performed for the first time at the Royal Abbey Hall as a whole piece. A gentleman that became known as uh, Malcolm Sargent used to conduct most of it. But the interesting thing is that when he started, uh, Sir Kutela's son, who was called High Water, was part of the guys who conducted the 
orchestra. So it's interesting that 24 years after he was born, he was able to conduct uh, a piece of his father's work at the Royal Festival, Royal Albert Hall. So that series went on from 1924 to 1939. And they saw that document is uh, available in the archives. Royal Co uh, Choral Society's documentation can be found from the archives. From, as I said, from 1924 to 1939, they used to have these festivals that went on for about two weeks and it was a big situation what we call a, a, a costume drama interpretation of, of high water. They, they were in costume, so they had TPs, they were dressed as Native, um, native uh, Americans. As you know, the whole point about uh, high water is na an, an, a Native American. So the whole story is about Native um, Americans. So they used to have, at, at some time, you could have a thousand people on stage, singers, about 800 singers, if you can imagine that, dancers and an orchestra. And that was something that used to be, uh, I would say, a full house at Royal uh, Albert Hall. And indeed, it did finance both the Royal Choral Society and the Albert Hall to some extent. Okay, the turn of the 20th century, that's the steam which was held. This music, as I said, stood uh, within that genre. He was well. Uh, appreciated as a composer. And the interesting thing I think is that today, 100 years on, there's a great disconnect between classical music and popular music. But what we have to understand is that even though this music was played in places as the Royal Abbey Hall, it was pop music of his day, and ordinary people also uh, consumed this type of music. Today, I think things have changed that classical music, by and large, is sometimes a, a consumed by, let's say, uh, middle classes, the leisure classes, and um, yeah, and then you've got pop music for, for, for the masses. But this was pop music in this day. The sheet music sold in hundreds of thousands. Remember, we didn't have gramophone in those days. The main mode of mass communication of music was sheet music, and it used to sell in, in, in the hundreds of thousands. And more importantly, as we find out, that uh, his uh, fame was spread outside of the UK. BTWSC, two years ago, did a project called the NAM Project, highlighting African-British Mills, and uh, Samuel Crew Taylor was one of those highlighted as a role model. So that's probably how I really got involved in the story of Samuel Crew Taylor. And we've got uh, a collective, as, as I said, called Samuel Crew Taylor 100 PM Collective, and we're trying to keep his name alive. And his centenary is not just 1912, it's 1912, 1913. So we're hoping that there'll be a full range of programs up until next year. Yeah, he was born in Holborn in London, 15 August 1875. Indeed, the house in which he was born has since been knocked down. Theobald's Road was widened, so the house, his house was knocked down. So within a year or two of his birth, they relocated to Croydon. His father was uh, a Sierra Leonean, and I think it's important, particularly since we have two documents. Two, the first two biographies are in the archives, and they do give uh, a not-so-factual representation of the early history of Samuel Crew Taylor. Samuel Crew Taylor's father never practiced in England. He went back soon after he qualified. And it is most probable that he was never aware of his son before he was born or after. Because before Samuel Crew Taylor was born, he had relocated to Sierra Leone. Uh, there's a good book by Jeff Green that tells the story. I don't mind plugging it, because he's been into this archives and done a lot of research. It's called Samuel Crew Taylor, A Musical Life. And that tells the story. So be careful of some of the books you read and some of the information on the internet. 
Right, his mother was um, English, so called Sarah. As I said, he died of pneumonia. He went to West Croydon. He was coming, he was going to a program, I believe, in Crystal Palace, and he collapsed. And sadly, the idea is that he probably had been overworking, and so he couldn't resist pneumonia and he succumbed to it. In his short 37 years, it's amazing the amount of work he did. But he started early. Before seven, he started to learn how to play the, uh, the, the violin. He played the piano, and he was lucky to be sponsored uh, to attend the Royal College of Music in 1890, age 15. In those days, most people <laughs> uh, left school, or, or let's say the working classes left school at 12, 13. Uh, it was about you going to work and bringing money to the family. So for them to let uh, Samuel go to school and not bring in money, uh, show the commitment that the family had for Samuel. The first two years, they actually had to pay school fees. He got a, a bursary, in, I think, the, the third year. He switched uh, from violin to composition and worked on the famous composition tutor called uh, Sir Stanford. Samuel Crew Taylor with his wife, Jessie. Jessie also attended Royal College of Music, but they were not in the same year. In fact, Jessie is quite a few years older than Samuel. They had two children, Howard, to whom I've mentioned earlier on, the son, and Avril, or Glendillion. Okay. Okay, that's part of uh, a short piece called the Ballad in A Minor, and that to some extent was Samuel Crew Taylor's first step at fame. Uh, it was first performed in September 1898, and what happened was that uh, Edward Elgar, who later on in the 20th century became well-known, he wasn't so well-known at this time, and in fact, uh, Samuel Crew Taylor became famous before Elgar, uh, was commissioned to do, uh, compose a piece of work but he didn't have time, so he recommended uh, Samuel Crew Taylor for the Three Choir Festival in Gloucester that year. And um, as, he, as I said, our ballad in A minor was a hit, and it started becoming famous, and that's in 1898. That was a great year for him, because that's the same year in which, late in November, the uh, High Waters Wedding Feast was also performed, and his star just rose. So this is just to say a little bit about Samuel Crew Taylor. He had a whole raft of uh, jobs and opportunities between 1898, just after he'd left uh, college, but even whilst he was in college, he was, his caliber was such that he was being published. Uh, Novello and other people published his stuff as a student, and that wasn't usual in, in his day. But uh, after he finished college, he was the chief conductor of the Croydon Symphony. He was a tutor in so many uh, musical institutions. He was edu educating our... Uh, festivals, writing, oh, that, the, he, uh, he did quite a lot of stuff. Uh, and it's no wonder that people uh, make the assumption that he died of <laughs> overwork, yeah. But to me, what's interesting is that 100 years on, it's usual to see Africans in London or in the UK. But if we transport ourselves 100 years before, the point I want to make is that it was not so unusual that there were Africans in London and so could tailor the linking with some of the Afghans in London. Some were from the continent Africa, and some were from the diaspora, mainly uh, uh, the US. And there were a couple of uh, African Americans that were instrumental in developing some of Taylor's 
engagement with Africa. By the way, Samuel Kutela never went to uh, Africa, but he was aware of himself being an African and engaged with these uh, notable people, which I'd say uh, Paul Dumba, who uh, was a poet of note. Uh, Frederick Ludin was the leader of the Jubilee Singers, and they told him about African-American music, or as he used to call in those days, Negro music. And he tried to incorporate some into his music. Today, 200 years down the line, I think with our ears, or certainly with me, and I'm in a person called BritishBlackMusic.com, the Black Music Congress, I'm obviously into black music. But when I listen to it, I have to admit that it's not obviously African to me, but I suppose musicologists can see the links that go back to Africa. And that's what Samuel Kurutela wanted to do, bring African music into the classical music canon. One of the people he collaborated with very early on was uh, Dumba. One of the uh, pieces, or rather a, a suite, was called the uh, African Romances, seven vo vocal pieces. Later on, he did what to me is one of the important pieces. If we're looking at Samuel Kurutela from an African eye, which was the 24 Negro Melodies, what he did was that he collected musics from the diaspora, from Africa, West Africa, South Africa, from the Caribbean, and many from the United States, the African-American experience, rearranged them. So uh, we'll listen to a couple, just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. Okay, I will move on. That is Julian Joseph. Uh, the composition is Deep River. Julian Joseph happens to be a, a British uh, composer and pianist. This is probably better, be, be, better known. Okay, I altered there. Okay, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. And back to what I was saying in terms of uh, Samuel Kutel engaging with his African self. I mean, the, even without understanding the music, the lyrical themes, or certainly the titles give you an idea. African romances, two Moorish tone pictures, African suite, Toussaint Louverture, who happened to be uh, the leader of the Haitian Revolution, uh, Ethiopia saluting the colors, four African dances, the four uh, 24 Negro melodies, and so, so forth. So uh, from my end, if I don't hear the music as being obviously African, certainly in the titles he, he alluded to his Africanness. In addition to uh, Dumbo and uh, Luden, who I've mentioned, he also reached out to other African Americans, including Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois. In fact, he did meet uh, Du Bois. Du Bois was, was at the 1900 Pan-African Conference, and uh, Du Bois and the Corey Taylor family did communicate quite a bit. Even after he died, Du Bois was in touch with his wife and the children, so there are correspondences, and probably some of these correspondences might be in the archives. I'm not quite sure of that, but certainly you can get it online. Uh, as I said, Samuel Kurutela wasn't just a star in Britain, but globally. And certainly in America, by the turn of the century, they'd created something called the Samuel Kurutela 
across societies. And that was one of many, both in the United States and elsewhere. There were similar societies in Britain as well. And what they did, the one in Washington, in fact, invited them for the first time to, well, the invitation was extended earlier, but finally in 1904, he did uh, visit America and played in Washington and elsewhere. In 1906 and 1910, he went back to great acclaim. One of the things I like about his story was that his statue was such that President Roosevelt invited him to the White House, which wasn't too common in those days, having an African coming through the front door, I suppose the back door. And it said that one of the things they talked about was the race issue. And look, we're looking at 19, the 10 of the century, 20th century, and how long did it take for the African Americans to get the vote uh, 60 years hence? The other thing was that, you remember, we're looking at America in terms of segregation, but Samuel Curry Taylor broke that race barrier. The first African to conduct an all-European orchestra. It's interesting, we've had Michael Jackson, in terms of global culture, is the Americans who tend to dominate. But if you can cast your mind back to 100 years, they didn't have anyone on the level of Samuel Curry Taylor. So in fact, the Americans co-opted someone from Britain, Samuel Curry Taylor who was doing things that none of them at that time could do in America. I think one or two references, indeed in books, just assume that Curry Taylor was an African-American. I think I have read that, so just be mindful. We know better than that. that he, although he, he was loved in America, he is from Britain. And here you are, or here we are with a famous uh, composer, well-known in the UK and elsewhere. But the reality is like any other African, no matter his station, he did face racism. But what I like about Samuel Taylor uh, is that he dealt with it in a very mature way and then affect him. He was very proud, he was very proud and he talked about his pride of being African. Indeed, he, he collapsed on 28th August and died 1st September. Within that time, it said that he told his wife, Jessica, that what he hates is that when he dies, he'll be described as a Creole as opposed to an African. Across him to be mixed, uh, so uh, that's where he, he was coming from. He died 100 years ago today, and the important, th or rather this year, and some of the issues that are still being debated was to do with his finances, the state of his um, estate. There were a whole lot of um, exchanges in the media, particularly in the Times, talking about why his estate was in supposedly dire straits. If you look at a person who composed great works that the world enjoyed, first of all, fundraising concert was organized at Royal Albert Hall. There were other fundraising uh, opportunities around England and the, in the US. The king also gave um, a civil list to the wife of 100 pounds a year, which was quite a great sum of money. Uh, uh, in terms of the Royal Choral Society staff that came from 1920 to 1924 onwards, obviously, Samuel Taylor died, so he didn't benefit, but his family would have benefited because at some time, I believe, high water uh, controlled the performing rights of some of the compositions. Uh, we've seen Samuel Taylor, but I don't want it to be a singular one. We've had Africans in British uh, history who've either been composers or musicians. This is something from the newspapers, the death of a Kojo. In fact, Norm, this comes from Ghana Ivory Coast. Normally, you don't have a U at the end, but nevertheless, I can see where it comes from, which is from West Africa, uh, a musician in Ireland. So it's not just in this island, but in the great uh, United Kingdom, we have Africans uh, all over the place. More importantly, it's a guy called uh, Bridge Tower. 
Uh, he was born in Poland, but I ended up in Britain, I died in Britain. He taught, funny enough, at uh, somewhere called the Royal College of Music, which uh, Samuel Curitela attended. So we found a few of, of them. Uh, well, there's a Kreutzer Sonata. But let me tell you that it's interesting if you, if, if you know the background because it was initially written for uh, Bridge Tower. It was written by Beethoven. The first time it was performed, Beethoven was actually sitting in the back playing piano. Usually composers just compose and they either conduct or they take all the glory. But here you are having the great Beethoven sitting behind playing the piano. And the star was Bridge Tower as a violinist. And he came in here, he went to Windsor and places like that. So he was well known. So that's another uh, African, uh, and I, I, we can claim him for British because he did stay here for a while. He died in here. So we can claim him in terms of the British uh, history. So this one, the last works of Samuel Curry Taylor. Indeed, uh, initially the estate was valued at I think about seven hundred and thirty-five or pounds or seven hundred and eighty-five pounds, but it was uh, revalued at thousand three hundred and thirty-five pounds. And if you look at the debt duty that is paid, it's about fifteen pounds, which is two percent of the earlier estimate. I'm not quite sure where all the information is, but what I like to know is if there was any uh, money in, in the bank, for example, Samuel Crutel, I haven't found that. So what I probably have to do, or someone has to do, is come into archives, dig in there, and really look at the financial situation to see what was the reality. Because, you see, the fact that you've paid debt duty does not mean you've got uh, ready cash to look after your family. Remember that in those days, uh, Jesse would be a woman of leisure who's supposed to be supported by a husband, she wouldn't work. So you expect income to be coming to maintain yourself. So the fact that you've got all these assets does not necessarily translate into ready cash to look after your children and, and also to look after yourself. So that is something that I'm quite interested in investigating. I have not time to do it. And hopefully someone will carry the, the pattern. That's it. Uh, the people and places are quite useful. There, there is something on Samuel Crew Taylor in here. You can access that through the National Archives. So that's pretty much it. So any questions, I've sort of zoomed into, we can have some questions because that's also part of, part of this. You can never tell the whole story. So I'll just give you a microcosm of my view of his, his story. You may know something or you may want to ask some questions and we can develop it. If I can help, I will. This podcast was recorded on the 20th of September 2012 at the National Archives, Kew. This talk was sponsored by the Friends of the National Archives. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved.